0: Hi, I'm Ron Coleman, a partner in the Dillon Law Group, social media legend, and free speech enthusiast. When I started the Coleman Nation podcast in the spring of 2021, its focus was on free expression and censorship on the internet. But as important as that subject is to me, which is very important, I felt hemmed in in the podcast. I wanted to spend more time talking to the interesting people I've met in my legal and free speech work without feeling a need to have them all make the same point. So I culminated the first series of the podcast and have started the second series. I hope you'll enjoy these conversations as much as I have recording them. Hey, Culminators. Thank you once again for joining me today. Uh, I have become a little bit of an obsessive consumer of a certain kind of YouTube programming. And I have an appetite, as a lot of people... Like me will for bad news about Disney, and one of the great places to go for that kind of news and analysis, and 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 I'm sure that I'm getting him at a hot moment, but the because I know there's much more to the story is Valiant Renegade, who's also a friend of of Andrew Esquire, and they uh, who we had on a couple weeks ago. I'm a regular viewer of, of Valiant's programming, and, he, and he's br- coming up with these. Hot takes and all the all all the stuff that's going on at Disney, his his YouTube channel is Valiant Renegade. Disney company. There he goes.
1: Of course, now just called Snow White. Of
0: course, you might remember us covering this story
1: from a few weeks ago from the UK Daily Mail. And that story gave us our first glimpse of the seven.
0: The <laughs> one of the right.
1: seven right.
0: So, first of all, I mean, this guy. He's got a voice made for YouTube, right? He, we had to, he had to find something to do. Valiant, welcome to the show. I want to learn all about you. How you got, how you got into this weird space, and what, the, what the real story is.
1: Uh, thank you. Yeah, the most frequent comment: the voice for YouTube and the face for radio. For sure. <laughs> uh, so, no, i happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh, I appreciate that. Um It's been a wild ride the last. Two and a half years on YouTube. It really has.
0: Uh and boy, two and a half years and you're up to forty-seven something thousand. And you know, you're not even a pretty girl. I mean, you know, usually that no, kind of growth is a if
1: I if I start an OnlyFans channel, uh, I don't know what's gonna happen. Uh so uh good lord. No, it's 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 been interesting to say the least. Uh, this this ride. Um I spent 20 years at this point kind of working in the financial industry, which I've put out there publicly. Just to kind of give myself some background i still do i love it um well always it, loved but it. let me let so. me just
0: interrupt you here because it it turns out to be really important because if, when people talk about how the studios work it sure helps to understand how to read a spreadsheet
1: and we'll, yes and, we'll, <laughs> and,
0: we'll, and we'll, we'll, we'll get back to that momentarily okay but so, but you're not giving financial advice which you, of course you wouldn't do given that you you have you, no. you you are particularly um <laughs> conscious given given your license licensure of mm-hmm. the of what that's about but you're talking about comic books and movies. what's the deal? Well,
1: you know, I grew up uh always loving Hollywood. I was a big movie buff. My father was a big movie buff he worked in the financial industry uh he was an insurance guy he worked on the property and casualty side of things
0: what part of the world and did you grow up in what, 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 where where what, whereabouts new orleans born
1: and where, raised it's it's always been fun growing up here there's so much to do obviously the city hasn't hasn't held together as well over the years but that's a different topic of conversation but you know growing up with my dad and i've told this story before maybe once or twice maybe most people have not heard this but what got me I remember the first time I ever got really interested in how Hollywood worked. My dad used to love the behind-the-scenes stuff, how special effects worked, how Alfred Hitchcock made some of those iconic dolly pan shots and all these kind of things. And he used to love photography as well, which I got into because of that. And I remember to this day, I was about six, maybe seven years old. So this is about, My, 19, about 1990, right? Uh, yeah, a little before that, uh, yeah, little, little before that, I'm, okay. I'm, I'm. A, let's just say I'm approaching here. I'm comfortably into mid forties. Okay, so um, st- still a kid, still a kid. Yeah, still a kid. I'll take that. I'll take that. But I remember asking him, Dad, where do they find all of these people to volunteer to die in Murder She Wrote? How does Angela <laughs> Lansbury? How do they keep getting these people to say, okay, I will die for you in this episode? And my dad laughed, and he's like that was, I literally, I was like six years old. My dad laughed and like, that was the first time we had a conversation about Hollywood, special effects, makeup. And he taught me all this stuff because that was his passion. It got me into it. And as time went on, I just became a bigger and bigger movie buff. And I wound up mixing that in with the financial background that I have, which is another passion. It's like, and I became this I always loved monitoring box office, movie budgets, how these kind of things worked from a structural standpoint, from the business side.
0: But you didn't um, have an inclination to go west, young man, and become part of it yourself? No. Or did you understand <laughs> it all too – you understood it all too well?
1: I think that was the problem. I understood it all too well. I think uh, – my politics and California politics would last. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about polar opposites, magnet, uh, two magnets repelling one another. That wasn't such uh, a big
0: deal twenty, 20 years ago. Just to it, use a number. It
1: wasn't. No, it wasn't. I mean, you think back to when uh, you know Ronald Reagan was the governor of California at one point. Right. Right. So,
0: but so, <laughs> so, so times so, have changed. Okay, but so when you know when you were in your twenties, mm-hmm. uh, politics wasn't everything the way it is now and you know okay maybe you don't see yourself as a leading man or a, or or talent as we say but then there the money's in the business side right uh yeah didn't attract you at all you understood. you you understood the the the, the crooked way it runs or you just said this is just, if that ain't for me i'll i'll, I'll watch from here and and I think it was more of a hobby. Yeah,
1: I, I enjoyed studying it like my dad did, um, just like photography. I really loved photography, but it was never something I thought I wanted to do professionally. So I've always kind of done it as a as a side job. I look at it as it's a hobby that pays for itself. You know, I, I could buy all the fun toys. I could justify spending way too much on camera equipment, uh, doing a couple of odd jobs here and there just for fun. Uh, same thing. And I thought YouTube would kind of be the same thing. I figured, eh, let me go in here. I not know I already know how to do all the camera stuff. And I can talk about some of these things. And I enjoy it because I was watching YouTube like so many people during the lockdowns in 2020 and making some friends on there and enjoying the content and thinking, I, I can do this. I can let me have some fun. Let me try this out. And it just kind of took off. And we got monetized in about seven months. Uh, I think it was roughly, and it just kind of went from there. And it's been a crazy ride since
0: then. Uh, and really, you had really no public it. media. You had no social media profile or anything before that, right? You were just a no. guy doing his job. Valiant Renegade began uh,
1: on, well, I, I consider the, the inception of February 1st of uh, 2021. So that was, that was the first time, I think, a few days before that, we put out our first video just saying, hey, thank you to the people who inspired me to get on here. Uh, And then we kind of started doing some regular stuff and it's grown into what it has. And the audience has been amazing. Uh, The growth has been tremendous. And you've made some
0: really cool friends, right? Isn't that, that's one of the good things. I mean, there are lots of different continents in the world of of YouTube and they don't necessarily have anything to do with each other, but I see who you hang around with. And, you know, we've talked about that a little bit, you know, uh, online. Um, It is, it's just astonishing to me that you can come out of nowhere and, you know, get, you know, pick up that kind of steam because what everyone always says is, is that new creators, the algorithm hates new creators, but especially if they have anything conservative to say, and your, your show is not about politics, but you've got a point of view and it doesn't take all that long to figure out what it is. Right.
1: <laughs> but you did it. Yeah. That that's, I can't explain that. I don't know how that works. I've learned as I've went along uh, to, to wondering, the YouTube algorithm is a weird thing, but it is something you just have to accept at some point that you will never understand how it works. There's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> and the only thing that you can do is just keep making videos, and eventually you push through whatever rut that you get into. Uh, and I, I've had that happen now several times. We had explosive growth in the last six weeks, and then YouTube just killed me. Um, just shut it. Now. I mean, it went from up here to down here. Uh, and then I just know I'm like, okay, this, I got to make another few weeks' worth of videos, and then we'll push through this rut that YouTube has put me in again on the algorithms, and then we'll we'll hit the next breakthrough. It you is have frust- to get through those frustrating points. No,
0: yeah. and it is frustrating. I know it – I mean forget it. On, on YouTube, I'm an utter non-entity. But on Twitter, which is my – that's my territory. Yes. When When Elon came in, I went – I was – I was growing a hundred a day, a thousand a week. Okay, fine. They finally, the spigots open. And now mm-hmm. I'm growing the way. And then all of a sudden I'm moving sideways for months, mm-hmm. and, you know, and you know, they're playing with it, whether they're playing with it, to right. try to fix it or whether they're trying playing with it to, to try to, to improve it, or whether they're playing with it to shut down Ron and Valiant will, you know, we may, we may never know, but it is, yeah. You know, it is a frustrating thing to do because you want to. You just want to come out here and do your thing, and those who don't have to watch you don't have to watch you, and those right. who should, those who. But you do want to be able to be reached by those who uh, you know who want to reach you. Mm-hmm. Now there are Indeed. a yeah. lot of people talking about what you're talking about. Now some of them are massive, obviously, like Nerd Roddick, like Gary, mm-hmm. uh, and boy, I mean, he. So so Gary comes from the place of being a lifelong nerd. He he's, he's a comics guy. Who, from what I gather, who followed uh, his passion, uh, you know, his lifelong passion for the comics into the cinematic version of the comics, mm-hmm. um, and is, is also a cultural critic from the right, and he's hilarious. Mm-hmm. He's got the he's got that great voice that he puts on when he's talking about, you know, uh, that one uh, of what, 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 one of the phrases he likes to use besides ishiU e, she you." Um,
1: Oh, the mcu M- oh
0: mcu right see it was yeah. Uh, yeah and and uh, uh, you know di- diverse di- diverse populations yeah whatever whatever it is he says mm-hmm. there are a, a, and you know there are a number of people doing this do you how do you distinguish yourself as do, you, you th- do you think it's because of your grip on the on how the books work and how how the I, money works I- I
1: think yeah, I think that's spot on. I think that's probably the best way to describe it, and that's something that I recognized early on. Matter of fact, Gary uh, Nerd was one of the very first people that I mentioned in my very first YouTube video as being an inspiration to get on. Matter of fact, and I've 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 told Gary this, I've reminded him this over the years because, uh, of course, I flew under a different banner before Valiant Renegade came around, um, but. I remember super chatting Gary. This is probably three years ago now, uh, and and asking him, "Hey, I'm thinking about getting on YouTube. Um, I'm I'm this close. What do you What do you think I should do?" I'm like, and I, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it's along those lines. This was during a live show, um, and Gary looks in the camera, he reads my super chat, and he goes, "You know what? Do it. Do it." Um, <laughs> he's like, "Get on there and do it. Just have fun. That's the most important thing. Have fun." And that was it. I, that pushed me over the edge, and I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to do it, and ever since then, I'm, I'm going to have fun. But as you just said, I wanted to take it – I didn't want to just be another pop culture channel. There's already plenty of really competent, quality pop culture channels out there, and they all kind of have their own niche way of delivering the news. I decided, wait. I've got a background in finance and economics I understand accounting to a large degree, although not as well as people that actually are accountants, some of the other folks that we have on the show. But well, we wouldn't want to but talk. I to know a, enough.
0: We wouldn't want to talk to accountants. Maybe you can find a way to talk I
1: to... I don't want to talk to accountants either. I just have them on the show sometimes. They're sometimes mildly interesting. Don't hurt me, Mike. One of my good friends, Mexican Iron Man out there, of course, one of my show producers is an accountant. He's a CPA by trade, but he's also a great co-host and producer. Um, Jonas J. Campbell, who manages my second channel, is he's got that background as well. So there's a lot of good guys out there that do that, and I love having them on. But yeah, I wanted to do something from the business side of things, taking in that financial background and saying, you know, instead of just reading the headlines that say, Disney had the biggest year at the box office, well, that's great, but what does that really mean? I mean, it's nice to say that they had $4 billion in gross receipts at the theatrical level, but number one, that's not what comes back to Disney. It's about half of that. Number two, that doesn't take into account, what did they spend to actually produce these films? What do they then spend to market them into theaters? Then you start realizing, wait a minute. Yeah, you can be the biggest kid on the block, but you're losing money. So w- there's a problem here. Uh, that's the kind of thing that we started tracking that became popular. And I think one of the most frequent comments that I've seen over the last two and a half years is that. You know, nobody else is doing this. Nobody else is doing what you do. Nobody else is is presenting it in this fashion. Um, and because
0: I'll tell you, that's that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me because mm-hmm. when I now when I tune in to say Ryan Cannell, mm-hmm. uh, or you know, or obviously Gary, or uh, who, you know, who who else do I watch on this on this stuff? Everyone seems to have these this information readily. Yeah, well, everyone knows. You know, everyone knows. You not you have to look at. You know what's the real what's the real net on that gross back to Disney and and what are mm-hmm. production costs and what are marketing costs and everyone knows that the real break even for uh, actually one of the great things that Gary did was teach me about the access media about how mm-hmm. how entertainment media is so utterly captured the same way the mainstream media is captured by 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 one political party. Yeah, and and by government in general, mm-hmm. uh, m- you know, media media are, you know, they get the bag, they get the goodie bags when they and they get to go to the openings and they get to have interviews with famous uh, stars, yeah, and they become utterly uncritical and you know, but variety
1: but- thr deadline. There's a lot of them out there that are guilty of it. Not every division at those magazines, but a lot of the film divisions. In those magazines, those writers that do reviews and things like this or cover the Hollywood trade side of things. Yeah, a lot of them are they tend to be very jaded.
0: That's a very nice way of putting it. Yeah. The the amazing thing is that of all the things that YouTube has decided to censor, and there are many, Mm -hmm. and uh, because they are not part of the entertainment complex as such you've been this has been allowed to be discussed pretty much more or less i mean it's it's funny it's
1: funny the videos that you don't expect will do well do amazing and the videos that you think should do tremendously well absolutely get tanked uh it makes no sense at all and that's part of that algorithmic discussion from earlier what does youtube do um, what do now, women we want? Scenes, What does YouTube right, want? Right, exactly. <laughs> it really depends on who made a phone call that day from what studio and said to Google, could you help us out with this? Um, and that does happen. We've seen congressional testimony, you know, that Congress will get involved or the feds will get involved with social media. Well, so too will Hollywood studios in many cases uh, when if they don't want something happening. Uh, Now, some might say that that influence over time has begun to dwindle, and I think there's some evidence to some degree out there of that. Um, I've said many times in recent weeks I have never seen in at least the last two and a half, three years since I've been really following this ardently uh, the number of critical articles that have been written about like the Walt Disney Company, for example. I mean I'm talking Hollywood trade publications. I'm talking Wall Street publications, financial publications, major ones, Fortune Magazine, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, The Atlantic. On, on the Hollywood side, I'm talking about all of them, Variety, Deadline, THR, all the ones we mentioned earlier, especially after Bob Iger recently came out and made these comments about the strike. when You, know, you can call it a Freudian slip. You can call it being honest. Uh, you can call it just foot and mouth. Whatever the case is, since then, there has been no mercy towards Iger. And this was somebody who was once the golden boy of Hollywood. He was untouchable. Nobody would speak an ill word against him. Matter of fact, they ran his successor and predecessor off, Bob Chapek, who basically had not even really 11 months to act as Disney CEO. He was called a buffoon who didn't understand Hollywood. He was chided by everyone and their grandmother in California trade publications, Hollywood trade publications for, you know, quote unquote, botching the Scarlett Johansson situation with Black Widow and the co-release on Disney Plus Premier Access and theaters, the whole lawsuit that that, right. that uh, came from that. He was made to be a fool uh, by the Hollywood trades, and Iger was the savior. Even, even Now though, even, Iger's even, taken more heat than Chapek ever did.
0: Although everything that happened under Chapek's watch had, had already been greenlit by Iger. Exactly. Yeah.
1: And, that's I just and I'm sure a lot, lot of that people for forget you. that. <laughs> Maybe so. We've talked about that. But a lot, a lot of the things that we have seen even releasing this year, you go back and look at when these projects were actually signed off on by Disney, when the different corporate entities underneath Disney, the production entities were formed, ergo, when they were greenlit, all of this happened while Iger was still in ultimate full control. So let's, uh, so been, let's
0: talk about you know, these decisions. OK, mm-hmm. one thing that neither of us is going to have a lot of patience for is someone saying the problem with Hollywood now is that it's all about money. And dude, <laughs> it's always been about money. Yeah, it's okay? the money
1: making business at the end of the day. Everything is the money making. And business. it's always
0: been a place to make a tremendous amount of money. And yep. uh, so you have all these decisions that were so that, that any anyone with their head, on straight and, and and if if ghostbusters two not ghostbusters two what, what was it the, the 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 um the the uh wh- the the female ghostbusters oh ghostbusters 2016 2016 right yeah if that was the proof of concept the proof being this is a right. terrible idea <laughs> what did they deduce from that let's do more of it but worse right right now How does this happen in in, in a public corporation Mm -hmm. where there are shareholders, there's a board of directors? We know most boards of directors and most public companies are pets of the executives, so fine. But there's always some level of pressure from shareholders to not screw up. The screw ups are so deep and so repeated. And what, what... what do you figure systematically went on here?
1: Well, you know, of course, entertainment companies, particularly publicly traded ones, which virtually all the big ones are, um, at least in the you know U.S. publicly traded. I'm talking about Disney, Warner Brothers, uh, Paramount, Comcast, Universal, Sony Pictures, of course, Japanese at the end of the day. Um, but the 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 idea being that if you're going to Push a sociopolitical movement in this country, then the first place you want to apply the most pressure is the ones that have the broadest media and entertainment power in the country, ergo the entertainment companies. Um, so we've seen that kind of creep in over the years. There's a lot of people that constantly ask me questions about like BlackRock, Vanguard. Or T Rowe, or uh, you know, name any of these major financial institutions, these mutual fund companies, these institutional investors. Of course, you can throw in places like J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, so on and so forth. All these places have major centers of power influence over these companies, either because they're a major banking institution that has massive lines of credit for these entertainment companies to be able to function and operate. Skydance Pictures recently upped that credit line to a billion. All studios have these major credit lines like this in order to be able to create the content. right? They float these lines of credit. Hey, we need $100 million to produce the next John Wick film or the next Godzilla movie. Whatever the case, that's how that works. Then you have the other side of things where you've got the Black Rocks and the Vanguards and the T. Rowe Price and the Fidelities and the go on down the list of all these big mutual American funds, whatever, throw them all in there. They're the people that control the largest number of – and this is where the real power is – the voting shares of stock because if you invest in an IRA or you have a brokerage account with T. Rowe Price or Vanguard or BlackRock, you got a 401K with a Vanguard large-cap value fund or large-cap growth fund or whatever, there's Disney stock in there. There's Paramount, Warner Brothers, Comcast, all that stock. There's stock in there from all those companies. Your proxy is with those mutual fund companies. They get to vote your shares. So collectively, I mean, you talk about some place like BlackRock that owns 6% of the Disney shares. Uh, You've got Vanguard that has a similar 6% ownership of Disney shares. Now, when you think, well, 6%, 12%, that's not a whole lot. In the grand scheme of things of voting power, that's enormous. That is is a monumental shift. Okay, so, so we have these companies have these kind of pressures on there to say, hey, we want you to do some certain things. We want you to push these certain kind of politics. That's where eventually you get to.
0: So, all right. So so the, I'm going to break up your answer a little bit in a couple components. Mm-hmm. One mm-hmm. is you have something that we didn't really have in American financial history until the last decade or so, which is mm-hmm. this phenomenal influence of institutional investors. Yeah. Um. And you will, and then you have this uh, woke phenomenon of institutional, where, where the institutional investors, whether it's because they feel guilty about multi, being multi billionaires or whatever, whatever the motivation is, uh, they want to impose these what we would, as you know, as students of economics would think of as suboptimal suboptimal approaches to business they're going to say let's let's capture some of these uh externalities and instead of making them you know let's because we're profitable because you're you're profitable companies let's spread some of the wealth let's do the right thing as we so and of course these institutional investors themselves are so large that they and, and they're controlled by really in other words, let, let's these funds.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: BlackRock is not a great example because that's private equity, right? They're publicly traded. They're they're publicly traded, but but again, yeah. they're they're they are they're not listening to their stockholders. the the The, the guys who make their decisions there, you know, think does what he wants. He talks to his three, oh yeah three or four friends.
1: Larry Fink is Mister ESG DEI in the investment world. He is the grand champion of it. Yeah,
0: so he's. And of course, their investments are uh, are spread um, spread across many different companies and industries. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. So if if they ruin one company with it, I mean, do they? Do you, in your opinion, and I don't know that you have necessarily any any way of knowing this, but do you believe these guys think? Do you think they realize that this is bad for business? For, for for companies like disney or do you think they're you know l- drinking their own Kool-Aid on it i th- i think i think at the beginning they
1: thought this would work i think that even guys like larry fink now in his own private bathroom in his office or whatever the case may be he is sitting there starting to realize even though he may never admit that this is this, it's not working i mean the proofs in the pudding now Do I think he's ever going to come out and admit that? No, Um, I think he's that stubborn. But we have seen we have seen movement off of this from places like Vanguard in recent months that decided, you know, this this whole put ESG above everything just doesn't work. Uh, It's it's I mean, we don't mind ESG, but this isn't going to be a focus of being the forefront of everything that we do from an investment decision at this company anymore. I think BlackRock's going to be the last domino to fall in that because Fink has been more vocal uh, and, and vociferous than most. But the, the thing is, but you have to understand there are companies out there that go along with this mindset because they're compelled to do so or they feel compelled to do so from peer pressure on Wall Street. I mean, it's at the end of the day, it's a high school aspect, right? It's, it, it is a peer pressure group. Then there are
0: companies okay, like Disney wait, that I think but, are
1: completely steeped in it.
0: Let's take that. You're making an important point that because mm-hmm. I make the same point about the judiciary on my on my my territory, which is that you must realize that all these decisions are made by human beings who are themselves part of social groups. Yes. And they they perceive they put a high value as you and I do on their friends not being Sore at them and their friend and getting exactly and their wives and girlfriends or both being happy with them. Um, and they make decisions that make them that, that, that optimize a menu of fun of, of uh choices, including what makes me feel good. So it's not, you know, it's not always rational. It's not always a scheme. It's very often. This is all they hear. This is all they know. This is what they. This is the only thing they can perceive of as being the right thing to do.
1: Uh, the, right. The, exactly it. And and like I said, there are companies out there that, as you say, they feel that pressure from their peer group, and they will say what they need to say and then move on with it. Like there are companies out there that say, "Oh yes, we're very proud of our ESG score," and then they move on. Then there are other companies that take the whole tub of butter out and just slather it over that whole earnings report and go, oh, my God, look at the DEI and ESG stuff we're doing now. Uh, that's Disney, folks. Um, that's that's the difference. But the thing is with places like Disney and the places with Universal Comcast as opposed to, say, a Warner Brothers or a Paramount Studios, Warner Brothers and Paramount are what's considered a pure play in the entertainment industry in terms of Hollywood studios. Ergo, they don't they don't have theme parks. They don't have broadband internet services and everything else that basically buck up the entire Hollywood division. When you look at the Walt Disney company, when you look at Comcast, Disney is still primarily a theme park company.
0: Prim- and then primarily? So- is that really the case?
1: Oh, yes. Oh, absolutely. The absolute overwhelming bulk of their operating income, gross revenues, and profits come from parks and resorts. Second to that is the linear broadcast, which has been in decline, primarily driven by ESPN and live sports. Movies in theaters are a distant and I mean a super distant third place. So in other words, when we talk about Disney movies failing at the box office, when we talk about how this show didn't do well on Disney Plus, you could get by with a few misses here and there especially after you had 10 to 15 years of Walt Disney, pure dominance. Everything was a blockbuster mega hit that came out.
0: And for, let, let me, let, mm-hmm. Let's make it clear to people who, unlike mm-hmm. me, don't watch you on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. Disney, a lot of studios that you think of as being studios are actually pieces of Disney now. Right. So every Marvel movie, every yep. Iron Man, every all that stuff is a Disney movie. All the Star Wars movies are Disney movies, uh, right? Brands, Pixar, everything-, everything else, yeah. And they also bought Fox.
1: And they bought Fox. That was a huge mistake that Iger made. Everybody is starting to call out now, which has been hilarious. A lot of them knew it back in 2019 and just didn't have the hutch to say anything. But now that everything's fallen apart, they're like, "Well, oh, yeah, you know that Fox deal that was." That was really a stupid thing, Bob. That was $73 billion. They didn't need to buy that. Um, but yeah, no, exactly. And look, you brought up Marvel, and you're right. I mean, Disney bought Pixar, they bought Marvel, they bought Lucasfilm, then they bought Fox. Let me give everybody an example. A B C the biggest, <laughs> yeah. Well, ABC was way, that's where Bob Iger came from. Matter of fact, he was a weatherman on ABC way back in the day. Um, now he's CEO. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Endgame. Avengers Endgame in 2019, the biggest movie ever. You know, pretty. I think maybe maybe of Avatar, the first Avatar inflation adjusted was still bigger. But almost three billion dollars in global box. Disney profited to the tune of somewhere around a billion dollars on that film, just at the theater alone. Okay, there you go. Now, you, you see that? Take that billion dollars in profit that they made that's that's basically what they were doing with ESPN every quarter for years so the biggest movie ever one time versus what linear broadcast was doing for Disney four times a year at least <laughs> so th- that's when i say that movies like this now we're in this era where these movies begun to fail
0: and cable yep people are unplugging because the because, because of because of because of what's made available in part by Comcast, which is broadband speed mm-hmm. you could basically watch TV on the internet so why would mm-hmm. you pay for cable? yep and ESPN is starting to falter as a cash cow they're shrinking because people
1: are cord cutting from cable services and cable services and satellite TV services are still by far and away the primary delivery mechanism for ESPN as linear broadcast systems. Now, when you look at streaming service, to my knowledge, I think there's one place where you can do ESPN right now, and that's YouTube TV. So if you want a pure streaming service, a cord-cut service, Google has the deal with ESPN for YouTube TV, or at least they did. I don't know if anything's radically changed. I think there might have been some deal negotiations. I know they were having issues with the MLB network recently. Um but that's my point. is, And that's why Disney's trying to make that transition from having all of this having to be delivered linearly right now because of the contracts that are still in force with places like Spectrum or Charter or Cox Communications or whoever your cable provider is where you live. There are deals in place that say we're going to give you. And ESPN is usually the biggest consumer of revenue from your cable subscription each and every month. They have to turn over the biggest portion of your bill to Disney and ESPN each and every month. They have exclusivity. The reason that Disney can't just take Monday Night Football and put it on ESPN Plus is because they'd be in breach of contract with 50 different cable carriers around the country. They're waiting for a lot of these contracts to come up for renewal – That's when renegotiations are going to begin, but they have to get over this hump right now. This is why Disney is now looking for partners for ESPN, like some of the leagues and some of these other things. They really want to get this stuff onto digital or DTC, direct-to-consumer delivery. They can't right now. The parks are suffering as well. That's another topic. So my point is, with all of that coinciding in the last fiscal quarter, which is going to get the earnings report is in two days, folks. We'll see you Wednesday live on my channel. Be there. We're going to be covering that Disney earnings call <laughs> like we always do. Yeah, the movies are coming into focus now because it's like, well, wait a minute. You've had, you've had seven or eight complete busts in a row now in the theater based on what you've spent versus what you got back. And the parks are having problems. And linear broadcast is having problems. And Disney Plus is still $13 billion in the hole cumulatively since launch. Nothing's working at Disney right now, so everything is coming into focus. I think this earnings call is going to be very fascinating because I think we're going to get a lot of questions during that Q&A after the scripted portion that is going to address things that we've never heard some of these J.P. Morgan, Goldman Sachs, Morgan Stanley analyst ever asked before. I do not know.
0: Yeah, I was just thinking, like, yeah. who really paid attention? I mean, I remember when Michael Eisner took over Disney and turned it around. Mm-hmm. It, and tur- you know, basically, they brought in a Jew and said, okay, <laughs> Walt's gone. It's safe. Mm-hmm. And he really re- re- rebuilt the company as what it was then, which was the the parks and the studios. Mm-hmm. What you're describing now is a company that is so far beyond and, and the, do you remember the the AOL Time Warner oh, <laughs> merger yeah. yes Pikers Pikers okay mm-hmm. because Disney is so integrated horizontally and vertically mm-hmm. it's probably un, you know as in to, to use a New Yorker terminology ungovernable it's probably a company that that doesn't really makes doesn't really make internal sense and, the, and from what I understand it is one of the first things Iger started talking about when he came back in this iteration was selling off parts of the company yep
1: yeah there, there's a there's a lot of guidance towards this this Hulu deal that is going to be forced on them one way or the other oh in a right few months
0: okay so explain yeah I the Hulu deal, is this sort of a turd in the punch bowl right that is beginning <laughs> and the punch is beginning to to, <laughs> to draw drain down.
1: yeah i would i mean the deal for disney is a turd for sure because th- this is really forcing them into some rough spots they don't want to be in hulu itself i want to be clear is not a turd hulu itself is is actually one of these shining pieces of the dtc streaming world that has great revenues as far as we can tell, turns positive profits and operating incomes every quarter. The problem is we don't really know for sure because Disney buries it in with total DTC, and Disney Plus loses tons of money, so it 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 obscures oh,
0: and, what's going on elsewhere. And that's another issue, right? There's a yeah. There's there's a shareholder lawsuit, uh, uh, um, or or, or a, there's been a threat of one. I think there was a lawsuit filed a couple of weeks ago. So there the, was, the, yeah. It, there was that another one. Disney has 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 lied about its alleging that Disney has lied about its Disney plus revenue Mm -hmm. by mixing and matching, uh, you know, and moving, moving, you know, chairs around the, uh, uh, on the deck of the Titanic. Just, I want to ask a quick question, Uh, you know, Mm -hmm. as someone who grew up in the movie theater, Mm -hmm. where, what does this teach us about culture of a company? Disney, so many of Disney's problems now are, Traced, and there are probably people who say no, it's not that, but it's hard to believe it's unrelated. Traced mm-hmm. to an abandonment of what was long considered to be its commitment to something called family values. <laughs> now yeah. we can we can be as critical a postmodern as we want to and say, well, how realistic were those 1950s family values? And you know.
1: Here's a checklist. Select what kind of family you have now, and right, we'll, we'll right. serve that, or right? what you want to call a family, right? Okay,
0: right. But <laughs> you have, you know, listen. I, it's been long known that in the in the parks, that in Orlando in particular, were known as a place where homosexuals went to work. It was a very welcoming and friendly and supportive environment. There, there was it was a big culture there. Mm-hmm. and 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 this be and I don't know what what effect that had on Disney as a whole. And I don't know whether you say Disney and then the rest of Hollywood or Hollywood uh, parallel, I don't know, but they made a bet on this idea that we can make Peter Pan a minor character. In his own movie or 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 or, or, or a contemptible character uh, and the same thing with indiana jones the same thing with all these male characters that they yep. have castrated in in favor of another gary term strong female characters
1: yeah okay. strong women um, um yeah well that, that that all goes back to disney's initiative that was started by bob eiger Uh, With the entire Reimagine Tomorrow program, which, of course, was famously uh, broken into the limelight by Christopher Rufo uh, early last year, shortly after the entire uh, Disney decided to get involved with House Bill 1557 in the state of Florida, the parental rights and education bill that was falsely uh, renamed as the don't say gay bill or whatever. We never said that in there, but Disney decided to back that. I, at the time, was one of the lone voices out there, along with Andrew over there at Legal Mindset. Uh, it's actually when we met was over that topic we were introduced. And we both kind of knew that this this was not Chapek's stance, that he was being forced from inside the company to take a position that he clearly did not want to take, which was then later – outright confirmed by governor DeSantis in his own memoirs
0: some people uh, co- that, refer to the net chapis video as the hostage video or yes
1: the hostage video that's it <laughs> yeah that's it but i mean that's where it started but you had this push for reimagine tomorrow that didn't only include internal dei or diversity equity and inclusion regulations that they wanted to institute inside disney's hiring practices there was even a score of these materials that were published on the TPP or That Park Place blog from the source that that showed us uh, these, these DEI initiatives even trickled down into the advertising sales. One of the most vaunted, most admired sales teams, 1,500 ad sales executives at the Walt Disney Company that were there to sell. I mean th- th- these guys were designed to – create billions of dollars a year in revenue for the walt disney company selling espn selling hulu selling uh abc fx all these things major dei initiatives pushed through there uh for that um screening advertisers asking some of these people how did you you know what did you do this month to to help this affected ethnic group i mean just ridiculous stuff that had nothing to do with actually performing their jobs and making disney money So that's what was going on inside Disney. Now, translate that into the film and television production where they actually stated in some of these Reimagined Tomorrow videos that were leaked that they had an initiative to change 50 percent of all Disney characters to non-white, non-straight – and I'm paraphrasing, folks, but this is exactly what they were going for – characters that meant existing characters – The ethnicities had to be changed. The sexual orientations had to be changed. So that's why you see everything from Disney coming out with these ridiculous race swaps or gender swaps or this or that, which makes no sense. Um, And these movies no longer look like the classics that they're remaking them from. The Little Mermaid, great example. Halle Bailey – She's very sweet. I thought she was bubbly and energetic, I think, personality-wise. She was wonderful as Ariel. The problem was the script was terrible for the movie. And number two, frankly, she didn't look like Ariel. So when you go to sell the most popular or one of the most popular Disney princesses of all time in a live-action remake, and you cast somebody that doesn't look like the original character, the most the iconic red, bright red hair and all this, you're going to have a sales issue, and they did and this keeps going down and down and down the line snow white of course as you're bringing up
0: now bringing another it up, great which is, example which we started out with you got a you, mess you've got to briefly because i i wouldn't be surprised if most listeners aren't familiar with what's going on with the snow white live remake which is which is in in and of itself probably a genre that has outlived its usefulness which is where disney takes ip that that it owns or as they or as the youtubers say Takes the IP, takes an IP, like like Snow White, and says we're it, it, it would if it was good as a cartoon, it could only be better in person, which is inherently a questionable premise. Right? I agree. I agree. But what, what we'll finish off just tell people what's go, what's going on with Snow White. By the time this comes out, I wonder if it's even going to still be on the boards.
1: Uh, I don't think it will. So, that the, uh, I've even already made the prediction. I think this will be we'll probably do somewhere around half to two thirds of what Little Mermaid did. I think it'll be that bad. Um, this is a mess. Yeah, the Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is now just called Snow White for one reason because the original idea of making a true live action adaptation with you know either seven computer generated little people dwarves or casting actual seven dwarves, which they should have done. Um, That got thrown out the window because the self-appointed dwarf-in-chief, Peter Dinklage, as you may know from Game of Thrones fame and from Elf and from other such famous movies, uh, he decided to come out and say it'd be offensive if Disney actually put seven little people in this, making fun of dwarves. So Disney canned the idea basically all at Peter Dinklage's behest, and uh, now we have seven people that used to work at Taco Bell and the Gap. Uh, That are in maybe a Starbucks barista that's in there um, that, that are now the seven dwarves. And you have one little person. It is ridiculous looking. It's unidentifiable. This looks nothing. Does this look like the seven dwarves? Does this look like Snow White to anybody? As as the marketing department at Disney, as the advertising and sales team at Disney, the simple question looking at this is how the hell do i sell this product and that that's the problem disney has this is another giant mess disney has rested on their own laurels too long saying if we put the disney name in front of anything it's going to sell and the problem just like so many of these projects that have come out this year they were greenlit years ago many of them before the pandemic when disney was still riding high in the box office now they have nothing of value in the tank and this is this it is just one dud after another, after another, after another. It's a disaster.
0: It's a disaster. Uh, I, I don't think th- that the 50 minutes we spent together of Valiant have been, although probably if we go much further, it might become one. So uh, Valiant, I my assumption has always been that if I put my name on an episode of a culmination, that it will succeed. And I hope I'm more right than Disney has been. Uh, but these issues cut across so many so so many aspects of our culture and our economy and our and our body politic and even in the legal profession uh, Disney not lost its, the first round and that's in that state court case which uh, of course andrew has explained so, so well including here on culmination so much going on such a pleasure to meet you in person i hope we get a chance to talk again soon and thanks for joining us
1: thank you for having me been been a blast to be here
0: hey thank you for listening to the coleman nation podcast